0: All right. Christmas season. Are you feeling it? I love these Christmas songs. I'm so fired up. Like, you got the old English in there. You're saying thine and stuff, but it feels right. You know, it's yes. Oh, man. All right. So the message series that we're in timely Christmas series, it's called The King Has Come. And today we're talking about the roots of our king, Jesus the king. Uh, his ancestry in his human side. And uh, so we had that question, share something interesting about your roots. Anything stand out in the mixer? Anything? All right, I'll share that. So my, uh, my mom's dad, Luigi Leo from Southern Italy, uh, he came over because of economic hardship. And uh, so he had a farm in Southern Italy Uh, After the war, first war, it was, you know, Italy was a mess, and uh, there's an opportunity for him to come to the U.S., make some money working on the railroad, and his dream was to go back to Italy. He's Italian. He loved it. Um, He got here, and, you know, he's leaving what he knew there, didn't know the language, came here, got a job on the railroad in Iowa. Dude, going from southern Italy to Iowa. All right, that's, that's an adjustment. All right, and his job on the railroad was to climb into the coal bin where they burned coal for these steam engines. I know, it's crazy, right? And clean it out, because he was a little guy. He was strong, he was little, he could get in there. And I'm thinking, man, what humble work for a man who had, you know, this good living, you know, this good situation in uh, southern Italy. Uh, but he did it for... Who? He did it for his wife, his two daughters at that time, and then his future kids. So he made this sacrifice. He humbled himself, he put others first, so forth. It's a lot of our stories, right? A lot of our roots have that. And I'm gonna talk today about the roots of Jesus, our king. Uh, King of the Jews, but King of all nations now. And um, there's some interesting things here. And, um, but before I, I dive into that, I want to like make the connection. Why, why would we care about the lineage of Jesus, our King? One, it's interesting, right? Okay. But, but two, we're even closer to this than, oh, Jesus' lineage way back then. We're closer to that. Listen to Galatians 3.29. Listen to what he says to you and me who are in Christ. Um, if you belong to Christ, it says, then you are. Abraham's descendants. Now, Jesus in his ancestry, and his human side, he traces his lineage back to Abraham. All right, do you hear this? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Wait, what do you mean? Ethnically, bloodline? No. Heirs according to promise, a promise by God made to Abraham way back that through him through his offspring all nations far off will be blessed. We've been brought into this ancestry of Jesus that goes all the way back to Abraham. It gets even better. Romans 8:16 through 17. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Jesus the king of the Jews, God in the flesh. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So when we talk about the roots of Jesus, the King, we're talking about our roots. It's our story now. We've been grafted in. We've been chosen even though we were far off, separated, distant. Um, some of us were close ethnically and bloodline many of us were not but we were brought in when we were brought in we were brought in as children of God we're related to this king co-heirs with Christ descendants of father Abraham who had many sons many sons and daughters had men, had father Abraham and you are one of them so am I so let's all praise the Lord wah-ha <laughs> anybody know that song? All right, good, good. All right, yeah. I didn't grow up with that. I I got that later. I still need to work on it. All right, so, and if we're God's children, what does that make us with each other? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not just like a nice little thought on top of it all. That's actually the deeper reality now. We've been born again. We're part of the new humanity. We're part of uh, what God's doing in the world. And this family, this kingdom, this household will go on forever. So let's enjoy each other. Let's see each other more and more as brothers and sisters. All right, now, back to Jesus' genealogy, which we're connected to now in Christ. All right, let's look at it. You know, Matthew, when he decided to write, uh, write down the, the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he offers humanity, he started with a genealogy. He started looking at, by looking at Jesus' roots. Listen to this. Matthew 1, 1. This is the genealogy. This is the beginning of the book. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes on. I'm not going to do it to us today, but verse 2 through 16, about 272 words, he highlights 47 people between Abraham Abraham and Jesus, the Messiah. And then after he does that, he gives us a summary, Matthew 1, 17. Thus, there were 14 generations, ballpark roughly, from Abraham to David. So he's, he's highlighting some key people in God's work in the world through this line of Abraham. From Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon. That was a big deal. We'll look at that in a minute. And fourteen from that exile to Jesus the Messiah being born. All right. Now he highlighted who Abraham Abraham and David. All right. Now let's look at these two guys because they're important and because this these are two people that God chose not because they are great, not because they are perfect or sinless or you know whatever. But he just chose them. He's like, I've got to work through somebody. All of humanity fallen. I'm going to work through somebody. I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to work through him. And he does it by uh, revealing himself to Abraham and declaring a promise to him. We looked at this last week. This is way back in the year 2054. Again, your ancestry, my ancestry in an amazing way. Genesis 22, 18. Through your offspring, Abraham, all nations on earth someday will be blessed because you've obeyed me. You know, so Abraham demonstrated some trust and obedience to God. And uh, God made this promise. He's going to work through him. God works with those who show a little trust, show a little obedience to him. All right. Then about 14 kings, I'm sorry. Then about um, 1,000 years later, God speaks a similar promise to David. All right, King David. 2 Samuel 7, 12, this is about 1000 BC. He says to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David descended from Abraham. He's an offspring. Through David's offspring, he's going to bring his king. God's going to bring his king and he's going to establish this forever kingdom. He's going to bring his rule and reign in this broken, messed up world. All right? Then, about 14 kings after David, there was a big calamity for Israel. What was it? Exile. I think it was conquered and taken into exile, and if you're Israel, you're thinking, wait a minute, what's going to happen with the offspring? What happened to God's promise? Now, the reason they were exiled to Babylon was because they repeatedly, like all humans, repeatedly broke covenant with God. God was faithful to them, told them exactly what to do, how to live, and they said no. So, judgment came. Judgment, this judgment uh, was promised by God repeatedly through the prophets, even before it happened. This promise of exile. Now, one example of this word, God's word to Israel through a prophet about that judgment, about exile coming, appears in Matthew or Micah five. Micah five, one of the prophets. This is about 735 B.C. Listen to this word about judgment coming to Micah, to Israel through Micah. Number one, verse one: "Marshal your troops, O city of troops, it's speaking of Jerusalem there, for a siege is laid against us. Not good." They will strike Israel's ruler, king, on the cheek with a rod. This is just one little fragment, one of many words of judgment that God revealed before he brought that judgment on Israel. Prophetic words. And the message here and in similar prophecies about that judgment came because of Israel's sin. All right, Jerusalem will be besieged. They're going to be taken eventually into exile. And it happened in about four stages, 701 B.C. through the Assyrians. They're the ones this is probably first speaking about. They surrounded Jerusalem. They were about to lay siege on it, but God delivered them. He rescued them. Um, But that was a preview, a foretaste of um, what would happen and what did happen because Israel just continued in their sins. They'd, They'd get right with God, and then they'd slide back. They'd get right with God, then they'd slide back. And God kept warning them, and then God brought the Babylonians. He did that in three stages 605 BC, 597 BC, and then 586 BC, when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and the rest of Israel was taken into exile. Like, wow. This promise to Abraham, the promise to David, uh, you're thinking, what has happened? What do we have left? We're doomed. We are a captive Israel. And this captivity lasted a while. Let's catch this first, though. You first fill in today. This is the beginning of exile because of their sin. And through this judgment by God, Israel is humbled. Israel was brought low. Israel was brought low. Now, we're looking at this microcosm of Israel, this one line of humanity. What's happening with the rest of humanity? The rest of humanity then and today laboring under the curse, laboring under sin, death, and all of its consequences and offshoots. Right? We're still laboring under that today. We still see some of the effects of that. We're still experiencing those effects. Alright, so so humanity is being humbled. Why? Why did, the, why did the fall come? Why did the curse come? I'm sorry. Yeah, humanity turned against God. Which is the opposite of being humbled, it's being proud, it's raising ourselves up. We know better, God, we're gonna do what's right in our own eyes. Thanks for your advice and counsel, but we're gonna go this way. All right, creates a separation and it creates a kind of exile for all humanity. All our experiences separation from God. So that when you go talk to people about God today, you know, one of the questions we ask when we go out is do you believe in God? And you get all kinds of answers, and because of that separation, humanity is experiencing that separation, living out that separation because of sin—just a long line of sin. All right. So in this situation, Israel's humbled, humanity humbled. We're experiencing this, and um, and it looks bad. It's very bad. Maybe you've experienced this. Things are bad. Things are. I was thinking about this. This is very fresh in my mind. Uh, on Friday, I went to appear at immigration court for Saide. She had a petition uh, for asylum, um, because, you know, if you are an Iranian and you are not born Christian and you become a Christian, then you experience oppression. You experience you're exiled, in a sense. You are rejected by your government, and you can get arrested. You can get put in prison, and some people are killed in certain situations. So it's bad to become a Christian in Iran. Now, if you are born a Christian to two Christian parents in Iran, there's, you know, there's, you're tolerated. But if you decide to become a Christian, it's a, it's a costly decision. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get. And so uh, we know the story a little bit about Saideh and Adele. They were arrested for going to a house church, you know. they become Christians. they going to this house church. And um, they knew things were just going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, so they fled. They, they left home. They left family. Um, and they made their way here. And it was a treacherous journey. Risky, costly. And um, so they're, they're at this court petitioning for asylum, uh, Saeeday is. And um, uh, at one point, Adele and I were were told to leave the courtroom. Uh, They had to do some stuff. And Adele told me, this is a very good court. I I said, what do you mean? He said, they let you speak. (laughs) Yeah, he said, in in Iran, you go to court, uh, and he experienced this when he was arrested for going to this house church. The judge speaks, the prosecutor speaks, you don't get to speak. And they give you the judgment and you can accept it with that list of consequences or you can reject it, that's a different list of consequences, that's it. And I thought, wow, that is oppression. Uh, That's in Iran, that's many places in the world for different reasons, you know, originally because of the fall. Humanity is in sin. And so this is still at work. Israel was under the oppression of first the Babylonians, then the Persians, Then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And you're thinking, wow, how is this going to end? All right. I'll tell you more about that story in a minute. Back to Jesus' genealogy. So we left it in Micah, this word of judgment. Things look bad. But God is great. God is great. He's not going to let human sin, your sin, my sin, stop him from accomplishing his good plans to renew humanity, to renew you or me. He's bigger than that. So next verse, verse 2 in Micah 5.1. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that's a, either a region within, near Bethlehem, it's the region that Bethlehem is in, or it's a clan within Bethlehem that lives in Bethlehem. You can read it a couple different ways. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned exiled, until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. It's talking about you and I there. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Word of judgment, followed with, and I'm still going to fulfill my promises because I'm bigger than that. And we get this amazing prophetic word about Jesus and his coming. 700 years before it happens. All right? So yes, Israel, you'll be besieged. Yes, you'll be abandoned. You'll, be, you'll go into exile next villain. But God, in his mercy, in his loving kindness... Promised to bring his kingdom out of what? Out of a small clan, a small town in Bethlehem. God will raise up a king whose origins are, it's mysterious here, from old. From of old, from ancient times. And this might remind you of something that Jesus said John 8: Before Abraham was born, I am. I remind you of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's some mysterious prophetic stuff here, all right? And he's going to come from Bethlehem, descended from Judah, which is in the line of David. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. We're talking about him today, 2,000 years later, 2,700 years later, and he will be our peace all right. But before that promise comes back to Israel, the wait. They had to wait under the rule, this is your next fill in, under the rule of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Long period of oppression, loss, distress, of calling out to God, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the effect of this is humility, and the effect of it is the potential to have his people call out to him in their distress to repent, to come to their senses, see the consequences of their sin, and turn back to God, bring themselves into a place of humility before God. God does the same thing today. God lets us suffer the consequences of our sin. He lets us make a mess of our lives doing what's right in our own eyes. And then he gives us this window to call out to him and to repent and to get right with him, to be humble and submit to him. All right, 5 BC, the time had come for these promises to be fulfilled. So that long wait is followed by the time. And this gets to our message title, The King Has Come. This is in 5 BC. All right, so 700 years after that Micah prophecy was given. We're in this section now, the promises fulfilled. So we heard the promises made, now the promises fulfilled. Now, 5 BC is the year when God sent his angel, Gabriel, to Mary with some big news, like some crazy big news. Luke 1, verse 26. I'm going to back up to verse 26. You don't have this part in your bulletin, but it's great, so... Verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Ah, hmm, that seems important. Yes, he is. He's, this is the offspring of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, right? It's kind of freaking her out. Yes, understandably. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. That's about the best news you could ever hear. If you know Jesus, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you have found favor with God. It's because of God's good favor on you. Someone was me. Arthur was asking me this morning, why Mary? Why did God choose Mary? Because he chose Mary. Not because of who Mary was or she was great or anything, but because he decided to put his favor upon her. He chose Mary just like he chose you and me with our track record, with our you know, craziness. God chose Mary for this amazing privilege. All right. There's more news for Mary. Mary. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And the bells are ringing. Oh, this is this is the messianic prophecies. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Fully divine, fully human, together in Jesus. Now listen to Mary's response. This is a big takeaway for us today. She hears this news. Verse 38, she says, I Am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So, this is pretty big news, right? She's betrothed, she's engaged, and God comes and says, You're going to have a child. Not through Joseph, but through me. What's her attitude to this news? Humble obedience. I accept. This is big, this is amazing, this is very disruptive, but okay, I'm going to follow. I'm going to tuck in behind this. She doesn't fight it. um, She accepts it. And she doesn't know it quite, right, at this moment, but what an honor. God chose to conceive the eternal word of God through humble Mary. And then Mary, it catches up with her. She, she, she grasps it to some extent shortly after this. And probably inspired by the Holy Spirit, she, she speaks this song. We call it Mary's Song. And let's listen to what she says, what she has realized from God in this. Luke 1, verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. It's a very humble stance, right? My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we do, right? Her her fame is known for, how many people are named after Mary? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So that's what God's doing in her life. And then She realizes this is bigger than her. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Those who fear, honor, revere him. Humble themselves before him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud. Those who raise themselves up. Those who lift themselves up. Right? Proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifts up, has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now remember, Mary is part of Israel that's under the thumb of the Romans. Before that, it was the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians. She's seeing what God's doing. He's bringing his kingdom in a really surprising way, right? Through humble Mary. Big ideas here, a couple of them. Next, Phil. And the Lord does something. He, he does this repeatedly. He brings down the proud. Again, those who raise themselves up, one, against him. That's what sin is. That's what disobedience, that's what rebellion is, right? Those, he brings us down. He brings down the proud and blesses the lowly. He lifts up the humble, the lowly. Those who lower themselves are those who have been lowered and call out to him for help. That's how God likes to work. I saw a little glimpse of this. So during that, back to that trial. So we're in that trial, and um, at a certain point, Adele and I were waiting, still in the waiting room. And at some point, uh, the lawyer, Saideh, and... um, uh, Adele's brother came out and they said the translator's not working we, there's a translator there he was from Afghanistan they speak Farsi as well but it's a little bit different and the lawyer was concerned that the words were being translated a little bit off and you know it felt bad for the lawyer in a way because she's there she's done all this work she's like we may have to it's the only thing we could do we prayed we prayed we said Lord help send a translator there's got to be one in this building send a translator and we're totally dependent on God at that moment. And, you know, this has been a big, costly affair. And, you know, Saide, Adele, they're stressed out. It's, it's big, right? And um, so we're waiting. And they call us back in. And uh, they didn't have a translator, but they decided just to go forward with the case anyway. So that was very exciting. It was answered prayer right there. Thank you, Lord. And God does this. I mean, I, you, I probably got some stories here. You know, if I asked you, when when you're in that moment of lowliness, of despair, calling out to God, what did He do? Sometimes it's a, a beautiful, quick response. Sometimes it's a year later, three years later. And you look back, you see it. The Lord brings down the proud. He blesses the lowly. And God does something cool. He works through those. Next villain, who are humble, who put Him first. All right, back to Jesus. The day came for the promised king to be born. All right, we're still around 5 BC. This is Luke chapter 2 now. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. A decree. Remember, they're under the Roman thumb here. Caesar, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, that another section near Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, the town of David, which is about five miles outside of Jerusalem, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And we're thinking, Bethlehem, that sounds familiar. What's going on there? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So where did Mary and Joseph live? Nazareth, Nazareth, way up north. Why did they come down? Because the oppressive Romans said, you got to leave, even though your wife's pregnant, you got to go down and register at your hometown, where your lineage is. So they go through that hardship, and imagine Joseph, imagine Mary going through this, right? Are you kidding me? And Mary's like, the Son of God, I, this is the Son of God. Joseph's like, really, is this really the Son of God? Because it seems like he could have arranged something better than this. So they go down. And I don't know if they're aware of the why at this point, but we, with the background that we have, are like, Bethlehem, that's important. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. All right. So he's born there. Um, and listen to how he's born. You know, it's, it's already crazy that his parents have to come down uh, while she's pregnant. But while they're there, verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, a feeding box for animals, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this God of the universe chooses to be born this way, right? The humility of God. That's astounding. The humility of God. God intentionally lowering himself. um, Choosing to be born in these lowly situations, this lowly condition. The humility of God, Jesus the King comes. The King comes in lowliness. Born in a little town. Born in a manger. No guest room. Why? Why? Why, again, God could have done it any way he wanted. Why would he do it like this? What is he showing you and me? Humility. Humility. God really values humility. God intentionally, again, intentionally, not this is the only choice he had, God intentionally, though he's the greatest one, lowers himself chooses to lower himself. That is humility. Intentionally lowering yourself. All right. That's, that's astounding, right? And actually, for some people, it's offensive. Like, Muslims that I've talked to, they have a hard time with the idea of, first of all, Jesus, God, the Word of God becoming flesh, lowering himself like that. But then, to die on a cross... That's where we go next. So, God comes in humility. Now, let's connect this to you and me today. Philippians 2 does it better than anything. We're going to go there now. Now, Philippians was written to followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, in the Greek city of Philippi around the year 62. So, about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. All right, Christianity had already spread at that point to Europe and beyond. So, listen to this. Philippians 2, we're going to start at verse 5. Um, in your relationships with one another, and he's speaking to believers, he's speaking to those who are in Christ, he's speaking to you and me. In your relationships with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped and held onto at all costs. Rather, He chose to make himself nothing. He lowered himself. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. The great descent of God. The great humbleness of God. And being found in the appearance of man, that's enough. That's, That's humble enough. That's very low for God. He humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the lowest way to die. God chose this. I said humility is intentionally lowering yourself, but why did Jesus do this? Why did God the Son do this? Why did he humble himself, become a man, and then humble himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross? For your good. For my good. To save us. For the other. Even those who are far from him. Who didn't want anything to do with him. God intentionally lowered himself for the good of others. For our good. That's humility. That's... God loves humility. Isn't that a... Because it's amazing, right? What an amazing characteristic of God to display in its fullness, humility, intentionally lowering yourself for the good of someone else. That's the way. That's the way of God. Image bearers of God, he wants you and me to come into that also. All right, so that's where he goes next. Verse nine. Oh, I'm sorry, no, not yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so he's in this lowest place. And this is what God likes to do with the humble. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him from that lowest place to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which brings praise and glory to God the Father, displays God this trajectory, intentionally lowering yourself for the good of others. God walks it first so that you and I will begin to walk it. And then what he likes to do is he likes to exalt the humble, like Mary. Use the humble. Work through the humble. Do his mighty, amazing, astounding works through the humble. Those who intentionally lower themselves. So that's where the word of Philippians goes next. It's in verse 3. It's actually ahead, but bringing it now. So this is the word to you, me, brothers and sisters in Christ, with this in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Putting yourself first, right? Or vain conceit, just empty vanity. Putting yourself first. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Put others first. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The call to humility for us, followers of Christ. So sum it up two ways. Number one starts with this. Humble yourself before God. It begins there, and he will lift you up. That's the trajectory. That's the path. That's the narrow path. If you try to raise yourself up, try to exalt yourself, put yourself first, God's going to oppose you. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God humbles those who exalt themselves, but exalts those who humble themselves. This is how God works. So it starts here. Now think about this. Without humility, you can't even come into this relationship with God. You can't come into his family, his presence, his sphere of activity. You can't receive the new life that he offers. You can't receive the blessings that he wants to lead you in. Lowering yourself before God, humbling yourself before God looks like this. It means turning to God. Turning to God, first of all. God help. God, I, I'm out. <laughs> I'm at my limits. Turning your attention to him. Acknowledging your sin to him. God, I've been rebellious, I've ignored you, I've put myself first, I've used others, I've been obnoxious, um, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Asking for his forgiveness is humility, right? Lord, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. And then receiving the forgiveness he offers. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. You're paying a high price for me on the cross. I needed that. Thank you. I receive it. Thank you for that great gift. Wow. And then kneeling to him as your Lord and King. Praying to him. Asking for him to come into your life. Listening to him. Seeking his guidance. And following it. Humble yourself before God. And he will lift you up. That's the way. New life starts there. New life starts there. That's step one. And then, again, now be humble with each other. Right? Now, next fill in, intentionally put others first. Intentionally put others first. It's not my default. It's not my natural tendency. All right? So intentionally put others first. And I tried to do that this week right? And that's being humble. That's putting them first in that moment. It's looking after what others want and need, not just what I want and need and making sure to get that. Intentionally putting others first. It's going out of the way for others when it's inconvenient, when it's a sacrifice, when it's not your first pick, when it messes up your plans. It's making sacrifices for others, It's giving, it's being generous, it's being willing to get your hands dirty. Put yourself in the situation to help others. That's intentionally lowering yourself for the sake of others. And God does that. God works through that. It's amazing. It's not just do that and yeah, do that. It's do that and God will use you. God will bless you. Now this is a small example, and you don't really want to share an example of being humble because that's not very humble, but, but I want to, there's this moment, there's this moment in, so at some point I'm called before the judge, and he, the, the question, the, the, yeah, the, the person representing um, the immigration government is asking me questions. They basically want to make sure that this is a genuine thing, right? This is a genuine case of asylum, and I'm just, you know, so I'm sworn in, and uh, it's a little nerve-wracking, right? Okay, Uh, and but I just I tell what happened, and um, so I'm. They're asking me questions like, "How do you know that this, you know, this is genuine?" And there's a moment where I get to share before this little court, there's just a few of us there, but I get to share the gospel. I get to share, well, what I did with Saeed Day, when they met us, when they said they were interested in being baptized, is that I went through the gospel with them, the good news message about Jesus. And it starts like this. First of all, do you believe? And you, you pray this prayer of belief. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the sinless son of God who came for me, who died on the cross for my sins, do you believe? What percent? 1%, 20%, 50%, 100%? Say Saeeda, 100%. And next question. Okay, if that's true, then repent. All right? Do you turn away from your old life of sin, living separate from God, to do life now with him? Do you accept him and submit to him as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that? 20%. Do you understand it? 50%, 100%, 100%. And then do you receive them? Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. So I'm I'm sharing this with the judge. I get to share the gospel. It's crazy. Now, thankfully, I was was ready, right? I wasn't really ready for that question, but because I've done this a few times, because of Ving's training years ago, uh, maybe a couple years now, you know, I had it there. And let me just give a side pitch. Go to this evangelism workshop because you're gonna have an opportunity. I didn't know it was gonna happen right then and there. But I had the opportunity to share it. And I did. And God used it. They knew this was genuine by what I shared. You know, other details as well, but they knew it was genuine. And And they granted her asylum. Boom. (laughs) Even though no translator, they just decided to do it directly, and they had a good lawyer, and she pressed for it right at that moment. She seized the moment, and uh, it happened. So God will use you. Just be ready. And, um, you know, I just happened to put myself in that situation. But I also want to give a shout-out to you guys, because I was thinking, well, what enabled me to be in that spot in that moment? And it's you. Anyone who has helped support OTC at any level, in any way, was represented there. I was able to be there because of you guys. You were there with me, representing Jesus in this moment. How cool is that? Right? All right. God's good. He wants to work through us. We just got to be willing, and it helps when we're ready. So let's be ready. All right. Why don't we stand and pray? We're going to... Try to receive and take that step forward with him in these two directions. Lord, we thank you. It's just stunning, Lord, how you decided to come into this world. Thank you that you are a humble God. You are the most powerful being, and you are humble. That combination is just, we don't see it very often, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to remain humble before you. Help us know when we're being proud, arrogant, foolish. Help us know when we're setting ourselves up to be opposed by you, God. Um, Lord, help us become more humble before you and intentionally put you first in all situations, Lord. Help us do that more this week. And Jesus, we ask that you would uh, help us see and seize those opportunities to intentionally lower ourselves before others. Put them first for their good, Lord. Give us those opportunities, but help us take them, Lord. And uh, guide us in that, Lord Jesus. Um, We give you this time. We thank you for what you're doing. Help us take that next step. Amen.